Good morning, church. Scripture reading for today is from Acts chapter 15, verse 36 to Acts chapter 16, verse 10. And this is the word of the Lord. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they are separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with them and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way throughout the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up in Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you. I was told that I was a bit low energy earlier for 9 o'clock service, so I'm trying to up my energy level here. But it was actually great to see uh, an old friend of mine who's visiting with his family today. Uh, I'd like to introduce David and Bitna and their wonderful family. I, I knew them uh, from Philly. We went to school together, seminary. So you can raise your hand, David, Bitna. Let's give them a warm welcome. Glad you can join us. Uh, today, because it's Thanksgiving Sunday, um, I prepared a message titled, Reasons for Thankfulness in Spite of Conflict and Closed Doors, uh, based on this particular uh, chapter or passage that um, Pastor Andrew has read for us, I'm hoping that God will use a message to uh, really deepen your gratitude toward him, uh, not just for today, but every day. Uh, last week, we learned about the Jerusalem Council and their refusal to uh, basically give in to the demands of those who claimed that salvation was not by grace alone, but also by uh, being circumcised and by keeping the law of Moses. And, and we said that the council's decision, right, their very good decision, served to preserve the purity of the gospel, but also the unity of the church. It was a very important meeting that had long-lasting implications. But since there was no internet or USPS to deliver the news to the surrounding churches, Paul wanted to revisit the churches that he helped plant with his fellow missionary Barnabas. And, you know, of course, he wanted to deliver this important news to 
uh, the surrounding region, which, which leads to the uh, talk about going on a second missionary journey. And so that's where we are in the story today. Uh, now, I'm sure many of you experienced this before, but whenever a church plans to send out a team uh, to the mission field, there's normally a lot of healthy energy and excitement. And during the planning process, the church tends to become much more unified than before because there's a common goal that every, everyone is now focused on. And so when you have two of the most godly men on your team, uh, like in this case, Paul and Barnabas, you know, you would think that there would be no issues, that there would be no drama or division, but that's not what we read about here. Uh, verse 37 says, now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had basically abandoned them on the prior trip. Now, the author Luke here doesn't tell us exactly what the deal was with John Mark on the prior trip and why he chose to desert the mission, but as I mentioned in one of my previous messages, I personally think that it was because that first trip was much more than what John Mark had expected it to be in terms of hardship and difficulty. You know, who knows what exactly, why John Mark abandoned the trip, but we, we do know that whatever his reason was, his reason was not a legitimate one in the Apostle Paul's eyes. So Paul was strongly against taking John Mark on this second trip, and he didn't take a soft diplomatic position here. You know, it wasn't like, you know, please, Brother Barnabas, you know, in my humble opinion, I don't think it would be a good idea. No, it wasn't like that. Uh, his decision was final as far as he was concerned. It was more like, over my dead body we're taking John Mark. Right? Definitely not. Right? It was a clear no. Barnabas, on the other hand, was the son of encouragement who also probably felt compelled to, to look out for his cousin or nephew, whatever John Mark was to him. And for Barnabas, giving people a second chance came much more naturally. That's just who he was. And so my question to all of you this morning, who do you think was right? If we took a vote, what do you think the results would be? You know, I think most of us would feel torn. Our hearts would want to side with Barnabas because that would seem like the gracious thing to do. But if you really took some time to seriously consider the nature of this kind of missionary journey where, you know, there was a chance you could actually lose your life on any given day, I think most of us would want someone we could fully trust, you know, someone who, who would actually watch our back and, and not ever consider abandoning the mission. In my mind, it would actually be easy to judge who was right if there was a clear hierarchy of who the main leader was on the team, but that doesn't seem, seem to be clear here uh, based on our passage. In other words, if, if Paul was a clear leader 
I would argue that Barnabas should have followed Paul's lead. And if Barnabas was a clear leader, I would argue that Paul should have followed Barnabas's lead, especially because this, this wasn't some theological or doctrinal issue they were fighting over. You know, if it was a theological issue of great importance, then even if it's coming from, you know, your spiritual leader, if, if your leader is in serious error, you should never follow him. Right? I hope you know that by now. Right? Even if it's coming from me, you should never follow me if I'm leading you astray theologically or doctrinally. However, if it's a secondary matter, like who should be on the mission team, church members should submit to the leadership of the church. And in our context, that would be to the elders of the church. And there really should be no drama over these kinds of issues. Now, in this case between Paul and Barnabas, the Bible doesn't seem to take sides, at least in any explicit way. And it could be because their relationship just didn't require one to submit to the other on such matters. However, it is true that after this sort of messy incident, Barnabas is never mentioned again in the pages of Acts. And so some people have taken that to mean that, you know, the author Luke here is implicitly taking Paul's side, right? I mean, he, he's, he also actually joins Paul on his team later on, we find out. But I don't know, honestly. My, you know, my general philosophy has been to be silent whenever Scripture is silent. So I, I choose not to pass any clear judgment on either of these men here. But even if, let's say, even if no one did anything necessarily wrong, I think we can all agree that this still wasn't what the church was expecting between these two godly men. You know, don't forget that this wasn't some minor disagreement. You know, we can all expect to disagree with each other on a variety of issues, right? It happens all the time. Like, those kind of disagreements really are no big deal. Like, for instance, uh, Probably you don't know, I mean, most of you don't know this, but we, we recently ordered a wooden cross to be hung on this back wall behind me, and uh, it's actually been planned for many years, so <laughs> we've never gotten, gotten to it until recently. And uh, my position has always been, look, it's, it's got to be at least seven feet long, okay? I'm talking about a, a nice, sizable cross, right? Uh, but th there have been people pushing against that idea, like, that's too big, you know, six feet maximum, pastor. And so it's, there was all the, always this back and forth. And recently, you know, the, uh, the guy, he sent me some uh, sample stain colors, and I had to choose from four different colors. And look, it's impossible for anyone to agree on those kinds of issues. It's a given that there will be disagreement. But no big deal, right? No big deal. It's not that important of an issue, so Luke tells us that this wasn't just a minor disagreement, that this was a rather sharp disagreement. That's the language he uses. And that means it was a, a very emotional disagreement, which actually led to these two men to go on their own separate ways. It's like they, they had this, like a divorce almost. 
And no doubt this would have discouraged many believers in those days, don't you think? I mean, it probably would have been perceived as a leadership failure in some way. And can you imagine being John Mark stuck in the middle of this argument? I mean, think about how bad he must have felt where these two very significant leaders in the church decide to sever their partnership because they couldn't agree on their assessment of him, of his character. Imagine being that guy stuck in the middle. Must have been difficult. Brothers, sisters, wouldn't it discourage you if Christian leaders whom you respected for many years, I mean, think about our own context today. You know, Christian leaders you have respected for many years decided to break up their partnership because of a sharp disagreement. It's just not what you want to see from your leaders, right? For those of you who follow what goes on in our evangelical world today, doesn't it break your heart to know that many of the evangelical leaders of our day are, in fact, sharply divided over a whole slew of issues? You know, the men who began the Together for the Gospel movement, if you didn't know, are no longer together as they used to be. Right? There's enough disagreement and division among them that they decided to make this upcoming conference their last one. I mean, that's just one example of the kind of division that's out there right now. And when I hear things like that, it actually discourages me because in my own way, I depend on such men right, to keep it together so that others in the church would benefit from their leadership. Having said that, I've learned early on that as a Christian, I'm not to place so much of my hope in people because as the saying goes, even the best men are men at best. And that's important to remember because if you understand that about people, you will not allow human failure to discourage you to the point of despair. On the other hand, if you're someone who places too much of your hope in people, you won't be able to recover when such people fail you. That's why you see people leaving the Christian faith in droves these days because leaders have failed them. And what I want to say to you this morning is that Brothers and sisters, do not be the kind of Christian that leaves the faith because your favorite pastor or your favorite leader has failed to live up to your expectations. Rather, when leaders fail, use their failure to strengthen your own conviction that everyone is truly a sinner in need of grace and use it as an occasion to grow deeper in your reliance upon the grace of our Lord Jesus. Amen? And I believe that that's how we're supposed to respond here to Paul and Barnabas' conflict as well. We're not to stumble over the failures of men, but we're to recognize the work that God continues to do in spite of their failures. Because the truth is, brothers and sisters, God uses ordinary men who are deeply flawed to do his extraordinary work. There's a popular saying that goes, God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. 
And that saying is not meant to flatter any of us because it points to the humbling fact that, let's face it, we're all crooked sticks. And while it's meant to humble us, it's also meant to remind us that God can use even deeply flawed people like ourselves, like your failed leaders, to build his church and to accomplish his purposes in this world. Even in our passage today, we see that God's work continues on in spite of this kind of serious conflict. Now, you're all familiar with the verse that says, God works all things for the good of those who love him, right? He works all things, everything, good and bad. He works all things for the good of those who love him. And I'm not trying to justify anything that Paul and Barnabas may have done wrong here. And so you shouldn't take this teaching to try to justify any of your own wrongdoing as well. In other words, just because God is able to bring all things together, right, and work all things for the good of those who love him doesn't mean that you should continue on doing wrong or doing evil. But it still is important to know that God is able to work all things for the good of those who love him, that he is a sovereign God, that somehow he is able to overcome evil and sin. So here's an example of some of the good that came out of this bad situation. You know, we, <clears throat> the most evident example is we see Paul immediately gaining Silas as a new ministry partner. And not only that, later on during the trip, probably a more significant relationship is, is formed with uh, Timothy. A young Timothy, he meets, he, Timothy probably heard the gospel during the first trip Paul took, and now he, he, he connects now personally to Paul on the second trip. And they forge a very special bond that allows Timothy to become this very influential pastor. On the other side, Barnabas continues his close partnership with John Mark, and, and they go on to minister to the people of Cyprus. And so one way to think of it is this, brothers and sisters. They were, there was one mission team before, but now there are two mission teams that are formed which means that more people were reached as a result. You know, but for those who may feel very bad about what happened to John Mark and you're not happy about how Paul dealt with him, the Bible does hint at the fact that he and the Apostle Paul, they, they reconciled later on in life. Now, 2 Timothy, I, I mentioned this verse uh, a few weeks ago, uh, 2 Timothy, Timothy is considered to be Paul's last letter uh, before his death. And in it, he writes, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, right? the same Mark. Get John Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And so it hints at, that there was some kind of reconciliation between Paul and Mark. And that may also imply that, you know, Barnabas was in the mix there somewhere as well. Who knows? Hopefully that's the case. This is the same Mark, by the way, that God used to write the gospel of Mark. And so his ministry also had a very lasting effect. And God was not done with him as well. And I'm personally encouraged by this because just like John Mark, 
I too have given up on things before after feeling overwhelmed by the pressure of life. You know, I've also chosen the easy way out before. And so I know that I am no better than Mark. And so Mark's story offers me a measure of comfort and assurance that God is merciful to those who have failed in the past. That's one way this passage speaks to me. It's like even if the Pauls of this world have a hard time giving people like us a second chance, we know that God will. Amen? One commentator writes this, in light of what we read here, despite human disagreements, God's work still goes forward. Even in church division and strife, God overrules our folly and sin to promote his work. We also know that much good came out of a bad situation because Luke himself writes in chapter 16, verse 5, Right? It's like despite the severed relationship between Paul and Barnabas, he concludes the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So yes, yes, it's true. There are some Christian leaders who will disappoint you. There are some leaders who may discourage you. They will be at times that even some of us will end up doing some very dumb and foolish things in life. But even still, and here's one of the main points, even still, your mistakes will never be big enough to prevent God's work from continuing on. His work will go forth in spite of our flaws and shortcomings. And that is why we can be encouraged, we can be grateful, even in the midst of the disappointment and heartache we may feel toward others at times, maybe even toward ourselves. Isn't that something to be thankful for? Let me make one more observation from our passage today and bring my message to a close so that we can enjoy some Popeye sandwiches together. Okay, amen? This passage not only gives us hope whenever we experience conflict or witness sharp disagreements among godly Christians, But this passage also gives us hope whenever we encounter closed doors. Let me take a moment to show you what Paul and Silas had to experience on their second missionary journey. If we're going to dim the lights just for a moment, I'll be be quick about this. Pastor Xiong told me earlier, don't take too long on the slide. You can just go quickly. So I'll I'll listen to his advice, okay? These young people, they're too critical. All right, you don't see this very well, but here, uh, let me just use this tool here. So here's Antioch, that's the missionary center. And so, uh, who was it? Barnabas and uh, Mark, they, they took this route back to Cyprus here. They went back here, Barnabas' hometown, whereas Paul and Silas went north, right? They, they walked it, and the Tarsus is where Paul, I guess his hometown is. They went through Tarsus, and then they went to the cities that they visited or at least Paul visited during his first journey to, again, uh, deliver the message of what took place at the Jerusalem Council. And so it says, though, if you look at our passage, oh, by the way, this is where Lystra is where Timothy joins them. So the 
special uh, relationship with Timothy is forged there. And based on what we read, Paul really wanted to minister in Asia, okay? Uh, these are all the cities mentioned in the book of Revelation, by the way. I mean, he connects with them later on, I guess. Not, 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 not on this trip, though. The only, only city he uh, hits later on on his way back is Ephesus, okay? But on his way through Asia, initial trip uh, through Asia, he, he is told not to minister, right? It says that the Holy Spirit prompts them not to minister in Asia for whatever reason. We don't know why, but uh, and so basically the door is shut on Asia, okay? And then it says that, well, when they're at Mysia here, that they really wanted to go north toward Bithynia and Pontus and minister there. But again, mysteriously, the Holy Spirit blocks their path and says no. Uh, and through a vision, they're told that they're to go to Macedonia, which is here, and so they end up going from Troas to, you know, Philippi. There's Thessalonica, some familiar names. And down here, there's Corinth, the great city of Corinth. And that's the path they end up taking. And so what I wanted to highlight from this passage is that Paul and Silas, I mean, they were essentially traveling farther than they've ever traveled in their lifetime probably, right? It's a very arduous journey, you know, uh, they're extremely tired. Uh, they probably had a game plan they wanted to follow, but you know, they're, they're facing these roadblocks. You know, God essentially shut the door on them at least a couple of times. You can turn the lights back on probably. Proverbs uh, 16, 9, 16 verse 9 says, We make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Right? And, and this, this is kind of what we're seeing here in our passage. You know, this basically implies that God determines our steps by sometimes telling us no, right? Don't go here. Don't go there, right? Don't do that, that thing that you're planning on doing. You know, sometimes God shuts the door in places we see great opportunity. And I want to be very clear this morning that, brothers and sisters, those are the times we need to be very careful in how we choose to respond to the Lord because, let's be honest, right? no one likes to have the door shut in their faces. Do you? Does anyone? Closed doors can easily lead to frustration. You know, it's like when one, one door closes, we normally look to the next door, right? And if that door closes, most of us, we'd be confused and discouraged, and we may even be, begin to question God's goodness and grow angry toward him. Have you ever experienced that yourselves? I, I bet you have. And that's why it's important for us to remember that closed doors have always been one of the ways in which God has led his people. And it's in those moments of uncertainty and confusion that God actually trains us to trust in his timing and wisdom. So, brothers, let's not grow bitter toward God. Let's not grow angry toward God in those uncertain moments, but let's learn to trust in his timing and wisdom. Has there ever been a time when God shut the door in front of you and forced you to take a detour in life that led you to something unexpected and actually glorious? Okay. If that ever happened to you, then 
You should give thanks to God, right, for closing that door so that you could experience a, a new and unexpected opportunity of growth. Even when I think about my own ministry journey, one of the main reasons I landed here in Northern Virginia is precisely because God had closed the door in Philly and in New Jersey and in Maryland and in Denver and in Houston. Don't feel bad, don't feel, don't feel bad for me. Like not, not, I'm not saying that all those churches rejected me, okay? I, I definitely received some offers from at least, I would say, three of them, okay? Just, the circumstances did not allow me to go to those cities, okay? That's what I'm saying here, right? But God still closed the door. My point is that it's never easy to deal with closed doors when you encounter them, but, you know, whenever I think back at my own ministry journey, I can't help but to be thankful of how God chose to lead me because, you know, those detours and closed doors opened up new opportunities for me, right, to serve the Lord. So I'm thankful that he led me the way he did. One final thought. You know, taking a bad situation and turning, in, turning it into something good is what God seems to do best, right? And, you know, we, we often call that redemption, right, don't we? That's called redemption. And redemption is most powerfully demonstrated through the suffering of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, as we consider how God has repeatedly redeemed our own circumstances to bring about his good in our lives, Let's not forget that God is able to redeem us because there was first right, the great Redeemer who went before us to suffer and die for our sake. Right? Think about it. Jesus' suffering was so great that he even prayed to his own father, asking him, Father, if, if there is another way, please show me. Right? If there is another door I can walk through to accomplish redemption, Please show me. But every door was closed except the one that led to the cross. What man intended for evil, God intended for good. And because our Savior bled and died for us, we are now able to place our own hope in him even in the midst of the various hardships, frustrations we experience in life. And so as God's word tells us, brothers and sisters, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, but not just today, every day, let's give thanks to God in all circumstances. It says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you and for me. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Father, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, we want to be reminded of your greatness and that your kingdom will always prevail, that nothing can thwart your purposes in this world. We find great comfort in knowing that you truly do work all things for the good of those who love you, in spite of our own personal flaws, 
In spite of the relational conflicts and sharp disagreements we may face and encounter, in spite of the roadblocks that we try to overcome, but just as you strengthen your church in Paul and Barnabas's day, we ask that you would be gracious in continuing to strengthen your church today, our church. Where there has been conflict, may your people work toward peace and reconciliation. And where doors have been closed shut, may new doors be opened that would assure us of your presence and allow us to walk in the unity by the power of your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand together and give praise to God.